is tell you four stories. Is that all right? I'm going to tell you four different stories, and we'll figure out how they all relate to each other, hopefully by the end. So are you ready to go? All right. I believe this is going to work. There it is. Story number one. Um, this past summer, several of you guys know that Ben, my husband Ben and I were able to take a trip to Israel. We went for two weeks with um, some students. Some of them are here in the room. That was a good time. Um, we went for two weeks with these guys, and then we stayed for two more weeks and just traveled around the land and visited friends that we knew from when we lived there before and just kind of did a bunch of different stuff and had a good time. So it was really great. A whole month in another country. It was fantastic. So we got home, and... We were gone all of June. We got home. We spent the first week kind of like recovering because the time changed and we were really exhausted. And then after a few days, it was time to like check in with reality and take a look at our bank account, right? Which isn't all that fun for some of us, right? So, you know, we had calculated what the trip was going to cost and it was fine. It was going to work okay. But we got home and when we checked our bank account and kind of looked at how much the trip ended up costing us, it was way more than we had anticipated. So that was kind of the bad news. And our bank account did not hold as much funds in it as we had hoped when the whole adventure was over. So all of a sudden, we had the rest of the summer. We didn't have jobs over the summer, partly because of this trip and partly just because we needed a break. So here we are with this great, long, wonderful break for the whole month of July and no money. So um, I started to get a little worried about this. It got a little stressful. And then my car started acting funny. Right? So, awesome. Great. And my car's making weird noises. We take it in. Um, we're sitting on the front porch. And I even think Chris was at our house this morning. We're sitting on the front porch talking to Chris. Get the phone call. Car repairs, $800. Awesome. <laughs> we don't have $800. And Chris can vouch for the fact that that made me cry. Like, at this point, I was really frustrated. I was really worried. Um, the money was gone. And I didn't know how that was going to get solved. Now, I had seen God do really amazing things before in my life, especially in the area of finances, and some of you guys have seen that too, but I'll just be honest. This time, I got scared, and I got worried, and I got frustrated. We had this awesome break that we never had, and we didn't have money to, like, go traveling and go camping or have friends over for dinner because we couldn't pay for it or go stop and have ice cream on our way back from the beach, the things you do in the summer when you have time off, right? The money just wasn't there for that. And that was frustrating. But mostly, I was worried just about our security. Paying the bills, putting food on the table. Our insurance was coming due. Um, Ben's tuition for the fall. And it just started to kind of add up. And these car repairs, we needed our car, right? And I just got worried. And maybe some of you guys have felt that way before. And really, what I wanted to do was I wanted to change it. I wanted to do something, like take control and make something change and make us more secure. That's story number one, okay? Story number two, um, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 11 for story number two. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 11. It's the very first book of the Bible. Who doesn't have a Bible? Because I really want you to have one. And Jen and Ben are going to come bring some down for you. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. In the meantime, open up to Genesis chapter 11. Thanks, you guys. All right, starting with verse 1. 
Here we go. Story number two, starting with verse one. Follow along. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So here's what I want you to do. Turn to two other people, so there's three of you together, and I just want you to talk together about why you think these people were building the tower and the city. Why were they building these things? Go ahead. Okay, I just want to ask you guys for some of your answers Have you just, as you've talked about this. Why do you guys think they were building these things? Any answers? Raise your hand and shout out your, and tell me your answers. Anyone? To leave their mark on the world so they would be remembered. That's great. What else? To show their power. Good. Zach? To be unified. Okay. What else did you guys talk about? Anything else? To build a community. To show their power. To be unified. To build a community. Right? Dan? To reach God. Interesting. Right, because it says we're going to build this tower that goes up to the heavens, right? So that's interesting. Very good. That's awesome. Well, before we talk a little bit more about why, um, we're going to talk about just a little bit of what's going on in the story, and we'll come back to that question in just a second, okay? So what I want to do is talk about where they were. Where were these people? Because this matters a little bit. And I have a cool little pointer here today. Isn't that nice? Right? Um, so the area of Shinar, it says they, they landed in the area or a plain of Shinar, which is actually this area right down here called Babylonia. That's a later name for the same area. So you see the city of Babylon, which came a little bit later, the, the um, city of Ur. That's the area of Shinar, and that's where they settled. Okay? The next question is, what were they building? Right? They were building a city and they were building a tower. But let me show you a few pictures of just some artist renderings of what the Tower of Babel looks like. This is one, kind of abstract, kind of cool. I like it, actually. So that's kind of the pictures artists have come up with. Um, I want to show you the picture of what archaeologists agree these people were actually probably building. And this is what it would look like. This is called a ziggurat. Kind of a cool word, right? Say ziggurat. Yeah, how often do you say that? It's pretty cool. Um, so this is, this is actually the remains of a ziggurat near the city of Ur, um, near the place where they would have been building. This, I'm not going to tell you this is it, okay, because we don't know that at all. But this is likely what it looked like. It's been discovered and excavated and kind of reconstructed, okay? So that's kind of what it looks like. This is another picture of just a uh, drawing of what ziggurats could look like. Now I want to tell you about them just a little bit. Their purpose, they were dedicated to a God. Let me go back to the other one. They were dedicated to God, and literally that whole building stood 
only for the purpose of supporting the stairways. Do you see the stairs going up here and here? The stairways so that the gods could come down. So literally what they would do is they would build this structure out of mud brick, and then they would fill the entire structure with dirt. They'd fill it all in so it didn't have any rooms, it didn't have any passageways, it didn't have any use at all for people. Nobody used it, nobody went into it, because there was no way to go into it. And then they would surround the entire outside with fired bricks. So in the story where it says, let's make bricks and burn them, that's literally how they built the ziggurat. They covered the outside with these kiln-fired bricks to kind of support it, make it stable, make it waterproof, that kind of thing. But, like I said, the only reason these things existed was for the stairs, for the god to come down. So, at the very top, they would place a big bed of some kind and a table where the priests would go up every once in a while and put fresh food on the table so that as the deity made his way down to the people, he could refresh himself. So the god could eat, the god could take a nap, and then he could use the stairs that they built to come down, and the temple was usually at the bottom, and then they could worship him there. And he could accept their gifts and their worship and bless them. Okay? So that's kind of the purpose and, and, and really likely what they were building when we read about the Tower of Babel. Kind of interesting. But I want to go back to the question. If you look at verse 4, it says in verse 4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So they had two purposes, the text tells us, to make a name for themselves and to keep themselves from being scattered. Okay, it's very interesting. Now when I hear that, I think there's a lot of pride going on, right? I want to make a name for myself. I want to be famous. I want to show off what I've got. I want to show the world what, what I can do, what I'm capable of doing. That's what I always kind of thought about. Like, it, of course God stopped this process because they were seeking glory for themselves. It's kind of what I always thought when I read this story until I realized what happens right after this. Okay, so this is really, really interesting. Turn to chapter 12. We're now going to go to story number 3. Right after the Tower of Babel, the very next narrative, the very next story, is the call of Abram. Okay, read with me just the first three verses of chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Interesting. When you translate the Hebrew from this verse, there's three things that God is asking Abraham to leave. One, he's asking him to leave his land. Two, he's asking him to leave all his relatives, his kindred his family. And the third thing, he's asking Abram to leave his father's household. Now, when we hear these things, they're not that big of a deal to us because we leave our land all the time, right? What are the chances you guys will ever live again on the land you grew up on, right? Not very common. 
we leave our father's household all the time, for instance, to go to college, right? We do this stuff a lot in our culture. But here's what I want you to understand about Abraham's culture. That wasn't true. There were two qualities that were of the utmost importance in the ancient culture. One was your land, and the other one was your family. And those were things that you stayed with and you preserved and you hung on to at all costs, no matter what. Your entire identity, your security, your hope, your future, everything was based on this continual line of your descendants living and dying on your land. Woe to the one who would lose the land. Woe to the person who gets sent into exile away from the land. In the ancient Middle Eastern mind, during this time, there was, there was something worse than dying, worse than death, worse than death to these people, was being sent away from your land from your family, or from your father's household. It was a big deal in this culture. Look at verse 4. What's it say, the first three words? So Abram left. It doesn't say, so Abram had a fit and got all scared and was really worried and didn't know what to do and asked all his closest friends and tried to figure it out, right? just says, so Abram went, just like God had asked him. Abraham, when he did this, I'm using both names, I'm sorry. His name starts as Abram, and later in the story gets changed to Abraham, so I keep going back and forth. Sorry if that's confusing. But by doing this, by following the call of God, he is giving up his identity, his future, He's giving up all the security that he has in life. He's giving up everything familiar and everything comfortable. And he's believing in the promise of God. That's pretty cool. This is story number three. Now, I want to show you something pretty cool about story number three. Guess where it happens? in the same place as story number two. So these people are building their city and their tower of Babel down here in this area in Shinar. And this city of Ur right here, that's where Abram is when God calls him to leave. He's from the same place. Interesting. So what I want to do for a second is go back. I want to compare for a second story number two and story number three. Because I think by understanding the culture of story number three, we start to understand why these people were building in story number two. Now, check this out. The people in story number two wanted to make a name for themselves, right? That's what you did in that culture. It wasn't about pride. It wasn't about fame. It wasn't about getting glory for themselves. It was all about security. It was about preserving the family line. It was about staying on your land, with your family, with your father's house, doing everything they could to not be scattered, to preserve themselves, to preserve their own security. Sound familiar? In story number three, 
Abram hears God call him away from everything comfortable, everything secure. And he goes and he believes that God will make him secure. Listen to these comparisons. In story number two, the people sought to make their own name great and secure themselves. But what does God promise Abraham or Abram in story number three? He says, I will make your name great. You don't have to worry about that. I'm going to do it for you. In story number two, the people fear being scattered all over the world. And they're afraid of that. In story number three, God says to Abram, don't worry. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a place to settle. And I'm going to build your family there. The people in story number two, in the end, they were cursed with this inability to understand each other. And in story number three, Abraham is blessed by God. And then it says the whole world is going to be blessed because of what, is, what Abraham has decided to do. So I compare these two stories, and then I start to wonder for my own life, right? How am I living? Am I living like the people in story number two? Am I working really hard and striving with everything I am to create my own security? Am I building things, creating things, working hard to make myself safe? Remember Francis holding on to that balance beam at the beginning, right? Is that my goal? To do everything I can to make myself safe? Or am I going to live like story number three? Where I'm going to trust God's promises to me and I'm going to let go. And I'm going to trust him with my security. And then I wonder, what does your story look like? Does your story look like number two or does your story look like number three? To help us think about that for a second, I have some friends. You guys can come on up. Some friends are going to help us um, take a look at our lives tonight and just kind of see which story might fit us best. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. It's kind of funny, but maybe it helps us think a little bit about the things that we're building our piles, our towers out of. I'm going to tell you one more story. We'll call this story number four. Some of you guys have heard this already this week. <laughs> so last Wednesday, um, around 3 o'clock, Ben and I were sitting at the dining room table, and we were studying. I was working on this, actually, which is kind of ironic. And um, we started to hear this really weird sound that we couldn't tell what it was. And we kind of looked at each other, and we're like, what's going on? And then pretty soon, the lights in the dining room started to flicker. And um, I'm trying to think what else. The house started to kind of shake. And Ben got up to go look out the window and see what was going on. And then all the light bulbs popped. Like, they just kind of flashed and popped. And then we started to smell smoke. Um, and Ben went to look out the window. And the first thing he saw was just this window full of bright white sparks flying everywhere. And he yells, get out of the house. <laughs> so um, so I did, ran out the front door, and he ran out the front door um, behind me. And as we're running out the front door, this is so awesome, our, our housemates, we live in an apartment building, and the other people were coming down the stairs and running out the front door. And as we're doing that, the mailman's coming up the porch, right? And he's like, 
he's like, you know, walking up the porch. He's like, oh, you got some sparks flying back there. We're like, yeah, no kidding. You know, we're running away. And he just puts the mail in the boxes. And <laughs> so funny. I'll never forget that. But so then we're standing in the front yard. Um, and we can see what's happened. This huge tree has fallen in our backyard. In fact, so huge. We measure, measured last night um, with some of you guys who were at our house. 57 feet is our best guess at how tall this tree was. It was a big tree. And literally, I don't know if you can tell, but this is the, the driveway in the parking lot behind our house. My car, I can point to it, my car is right there. Ben's car is next to it. Our neighbor's car is right there. This tree landed right in the middle between our cars and our house. Literally, our house is right here. So a few feet this way, and it would have fallen on the house, and a few feet that way, and it would have fallen on our cars. It was actually pretty exciting because, you know, like the whole Holland Fire Department came, and then the mayor showed up. No joke, the mayor even came. It was like such a big ordeal. And, uh, and we were standing in front of the house, um, kind of before we could hear the sirens coming. Well, of course, Ben ran in to get the camera because we had to document it, you know. So before they don't let us go back in the house, we got to go get the camera. So that was kind of funny. Um, but we can hear the sirens coming, and we're shaking. Like, we had all this adrenaline. At least the girls were shaking. <laughs> and, um, and I just kind of said, hey, you guys, so if our house is going to burn down, what would you want to go get out of it? Like, if you could go get one thing, right, what would it be? And people started naming stuff, and I think my first reaction was my guitar. That was the first thing I said. And then the second thing was, oh, yeah, my wedding album, all our pictures. That would be really awesome to have. Um, and it's like as soon as I started to say those things, I started to realize that I didn't really care about them. It didn't really matter. Ben was standing next to me. We were all okay. The stuff that could make us secure, like the food in our kitchen or the stuff we have that we've been trying to accumulate, the clothes in our closet that we wear, right, to try to fit in with the culture, like all of these things that we've gathered in those moments, honestly, they didn't matter. I was like, I don't really care. And, you know, I know if we had lost everything, that would be really sad and really hard. Like, I totally know that. But there was also this freedom that came from realizing that that is not where my hope lies in my stuff and the things that make me secure. The truth is, no matter how hard we try, our security is not in our hands. I promise you on this day, my security had nothing to do with me. Where that tree fell had nothing to do with me. And I got a really clear picture that day that my life, that I try so hard to make safe and secure and the way I want it to be so that my future is going to be okay and everything lines up the way I want it to is really not in my hands. And that God's hands are much more powerful and capable of making me secure. Maybe this list makes sense to you. Your security is not about what you look like. It's not about the things you can create. It's not about where you live. It's not about how well you can do something. It's not about the clothes you wear to fit in. It's not about how much money you have. 
or whether or not you can pay your bills. It's not about being successful or having people like you. It's not about having enough education or even the right education. Your security rests in the hands of God. One thing to note, when the people built their tower, God still had to come down to see it. He was still way bigger than all the things they were building to make themselves safe. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, I want to say this really clearly. When Abram chose to follow God and let go of everything else and believe that God would take care of him, that does not mean that everything went his way. It doesn't mean that life was easy, and it doesn't mean that there wasn't pain. But what it does mean is that God promised to care for him and protect him and make a name for him and give him a place to be and make him secure. Here's what we're going to do now. Um, In just a second, you guys are going to grab some baskets that are at these ends. Don't do it yet. I'll tell you in just a second. But we have for you these little pieces of paper with a tower on them. And the band's going to come in just a second, and they're going to play for us a song. I want you to think of the things that maybe you're building your tower out of tonight. What are the things that you know you are striving for, working hard for, doing on your own to make yourself secure? Write them down. Put them in these little boxes. And when you're done with that, then flip this over. And I just want you to read some of the promises that God has for you tonight. And then inside, if you want to, you're going to have some time during the song just to pray. If you want to write your prayer down even, on the inside, you could do that. And then you can take this with you. And just remember where your security is. Not in your hands, but in God's. Would you pray with me? God, we're thankful tonight that your hands are bigger than ours. We're thankful that your power is greater than ours. We're thankful that we can rest secure in your care. God, I pray tonight for the ways that our hearts might be aching in this room, for the ways that we need to know that you are powerful and that you are good. God, I pray that you would speak those things to us in this time tonight. And God, I pray that you would just help us to lay down the things that we're building our towers and our cities out of and to put our hope and our trust in you. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus.